Welcome to another installment of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. <laughs> Mike Marino. <laughs> Mike Marino, uh, New Jersey's bad boy. All right. Thank you very much, man. Thank you so much for having me here. I got to say right quick, the title is hilarious. <laughs> Money you should ask. Money you should ask. That's <laughs> that's what it's about. Well, you know, so I told you this beforehand. I did a little search on you and um, according to this news article, you're worth $8,881 all from acting income. That is unbelievable. Uh, I, I'm not going to say whether that's the truth or that's a lie or it's somewhere in between eight and ten or two and eight. But uh, I'm glad you did your research, it's, and I'm I'm happy. I'm healthy, and uh, money you should ask. Ask away. This is the best. Him. Well, so here's well, so you have performed all around the country, probably around the world. Yeah. Um, you've got a current show, um, Make America Italian Again. <laughs> Make America Italian Again. Make you got to yeah, watch it. Got to watch it, and. Um, so one of the things – I mean I've known you a long time. Yes, sir. Um, goes way back. You are always positive. You're always nice. At least that's the side I see. Yeah. Like how do you – like no. And I, that's one of the things people talk about is you're like one of the most loved comics that you've got a heart of gold. And you – like you perform all the time everywhere. Um, how do you stay positive and – yeah. How do you do it? Well, money you should ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to stay positive in showbiz in general. Yeah. It's an overcrowded field. People come from around the world right. to drop into Hollywood and see if they can't become uh, the next big thing. Yeah. And uh, But I've been in show business since I'm a child. You know, a lot of people didn't know I started as an actor in New York City. Oh, wow. And I grew up doing TV commercials from the age of like 10, 12, 13. I got into Screen Actors Guild. I was 13 years old. Sweet. And then I was on a soap opera for a while. It was, I didn't get into comedy till I was 29 years old, and I moved from New Jersey and New York to Los Angeles because I never thought I would be in the funny business. Right. I wanted to be a serious actor. And, and for nobody the most took part, you serious? They just laughed at you? No, that... they never really laughed at me. I was always a serious actor. It was something about when I came to California, everybody said, you know, you people from New Jersey, the way you talk, the way you sound – Plus, you don't look like a typical Italian guy from New Jersey. You look like some Irish cop. The Irish cop. Exactly. And so away I went and I started telling some jokes. And then eventually uh, I auditioned for Mitzi. There you go. And what um, – so you started performing at 13. Where, so I guess your parents were OK with it because I'm assuming at 13 you had to have your parents' permission? Not really, no. Oh, uh, my okay. parents are from Italy and um, – they didn't know anything about showbiz. I have two brothers, one older, one younger. And like my dad, once they got out of high school, they went into construction and everybody was paving and, uh, you know, cement work, the typical Italian, stereotypical blue collar guy from the, the Jersey area. But I always wanted to entertain. So from playing the drums to being on stage in grammar school, high school, college, I just wanted to entertain. So I had to figure it out myself. Okay. But, you know – uh, living in New Jersey, you're about 20 minutes outside of New York City. You could just jump on a bus, get into the city, and then go to a class and figure out how to get into to the acting world. So I pretty much did it on my own. And did your parents uh, encourage you to do whatever you wanted? Did they tell you get a good job in cement? Did they <laughs> like, like – Yeah, you? no. They, they wanted me to either go to college or work for the family business. 
I think they were all a little brokenhearted when I said, I'm going to keep on going into New York City and see if I can't get on television. Uh, when, I was a when I was 19 years old, though, I did a TV commercial that ran for four years. And the commercial became one of the top commercials of all time. I was nominated for a Clio Award, Best Male Performer in a TV Commercial. And uh, back in the – I guess it was like 83. And I lost to Tom McCann who was in the TV commercials for Dr. Pepper. Okay. But when I did that commercial and everybody saw it and I was getting recognized on a daily basis no matter where I went and everybody wanted to say, hey, aren't you that guy? Aren't you that guy? Uh, I didn't realize the impact of a little bit of fame and a lot of money. So now picture your hand in an 18, 19-year-old guy uh, back at that time, $80,000 a year for four years because of a job I did in one day. Wow. But I was different. I said to myself, you know, this might come to an end. So I bought a really big house on the Jersey Shore <laughs> and then rented it out. Smart. So in a couple of years when I wasn't making that kind of money anymore, I had the house and the rental income and I could always fall back on construction and which yeah. I did. Sweet. And was that um, – like that was probably your first really big check where you said, wow, this is a – Yeah. Oh, yeah. This could be good. Yeah. This could be good. And then um, – so then you came to LA and what was the impetus? Did you just – like it's on the West Coast. They, they got better weather. Um, the natural progression for any actor in New York City is try pilot season and come to California. <laughs> right. So with a couple of bucks in my pocket, I drove across the country with some actors. We set up camp. I tried three months. I couldn't get anything. I went back, came again, tried it again. And I think after about two or three times trying to do three or four months here, I eventually said I might as well try to stay here. Right. So oddly enough – I got a job teaching comedy traffic school at the improv. <laughs> and while I was teaching comedy traffic school, I started to catch this rhythm of, hey, comedy's kind of cool. Right. I love telling jokes. This is great. But if you remember at that time, you either played the Laugh Factory, the improv, or the comedy store, and that's that. You got to pick one. You got to pick one. So here I am teaching improv comedy traffic school, giving away free tickets to a show that they're never going to get to see me because they wouldn't let me play the club. Right. And at that time, this is the coolest story because I don't think I ever told anybody. Mitzi had an accountant. I forgot his name, but he worked here for many, many years, and he was in the class. And he said to me, you know, you're really great. Do you play improv? And I go, no, they, they, they never let me go on the stage. He goes, I think you need to take a meeting with Mitzi. Wow. So I came here and he got me the audition. And when I was on stage, I just said, yeah, I'm Italian. I'm from New Jersey. I really don't like California. This stinks or whatever. She came over to me and she goes, do you live here? And I go, yeah. And she goes, good. This is your house. Wow. And I got in. That's awesome. And I never went back over to the improv. I stayed here. <laughs> That's really cool. Was that Michael Becker? Or who, do you remember who it he was? He was a heavy set guy. That sounds like it might have been his I think name. Michael Becker. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Big, big guy. And he worked yeah. here for many years, they yeah. said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He That's, got me in. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. And then um, – so you, you, you were paid regular here, which paid a whopping – $15. Yeah. Well, you know, it was $15 for a long time playing the OR, but when you went into the main room, we did get a piece of the door. You made a nice check. Yeah. 
You made a nice check. And I always used to play with uh, the late night crew. That's why I mentioned Marilyn Martinez. For some reason or other, it always seemed to be me and her closing the main room at 2 o'clock in the morning. But it made you strong. Yeah, absolutely. Made you an animal. Did you prefer uh, closing the show, opening the show? Because those are both hard spots. Uh, Closing. And is that because there's just everybody's trickling out and you've got the – like what's the hardest? I don't really remember who said to me, you know, you should close as many shows as you can so you can get tough. It might even have been Dice because, uh, you know, I did run the open mic for many years on a Sunday. And if he showed up, he went on stage for two hours and right. nobody got a spot. Nobody. And you just sat there and watched. And like I told you before, that was the time where everybody was smoking cigarettes. The room was just filled with smoke. Wow. And it was him and – uh who, who was his friend that that was always with him? They would share two two hours apiece. Eddie Griffin. Oh, Eddie, Eddie Griffin. Oh, he does love to do a quick two-hour set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'll never forget that time and I'll, I would never trade it for the world because I became the strongest comic I could possibly be by performing for nobody. Yeah. That's – no, that's absolutely – yeah, well, Eddie used to uh, do shows until like four in the morning. Oh, yeah. And the, we'd be, Mitzi, can we – no, <laughs> got to let him go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we'd go sit in Dice's Cadillac at the time and listen to his stories and get home until four o'clock in the morning. Oh, I man. couldn't believe I was talking to him. I used to go home and call my friends. I'm like, you're never going to believe who I'm talking to. And they're like, bull crap. And I'm like, no, nah, it was him. Yeah, it then was we him. went on tour. And like I said before, he was talking to my father. We went on tour with Dice. This is back in uh, 99, 2000. And uh, my father came into the green room and he goes, man, I love your father. He's such a great guy. I go, dad, I think he likes you more than he likes me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, get you in it, get you in. Yeah. So what – so you made made the trip to LA. What would you say since you've been here, what's the best – besides buying your house, what's the best financial thing you ever did? Bought another one. Bought another one. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a house on the Jersey Shore that me and my brother bought back in the 80s for 150000 That house is worth at least a million and a half now. Nice. I sold my share back in the day. And then about 15 years ago, I made another investment. I have an investment property that makes money. And then I bought a house that I grew up in. I bought the house I grew up in from my mom and dad oh, cool. because they got older and they needed to be taken care of. So I said, I'll own the house and you live here for free. Nice. And then uh, eventually, you know, you you start losing your family. So my mother passed about seven years ago and my father would stay there. And now my father's with the, a girl. <laughs> so the, I own the house that I grew up in and I remodeled it. And my podcast I do, which is called Live from My Mother's Basement, in my real mother's basement. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So <laughs> it all worked itself out. Too bad they're not around to uh, relish in what's going on now. I wish they were here to see, you know. Yeah, the social media stuff is uh, is so – like just changed everything. Yeah. Game changer. Um, do you um, – oh, what was I – I wanted to ask you what – oh, yeah. What, I'm sorry. I'm like – I'm listening to the stories. What, uh, what is your favorite thing to spend money on? Like food. Food. I'm a foodie, man. I love going out to dinner. I love taking people out to party. I'm not really a big drinker. I like to get stoned once in a while. Well, I get stoned a lot. But uh, <laughs> I love going out for food. Yeah. Mostly Italian or do you do no, sushi? No, anything. Or? I don't eat seafood. I'm allergic to seafood. Oh, I never bummer. did sushi. To me, that's disgusting. Like why would you eat something that's raw? It needs to be cooked. Put it on the grill. 
That's disgusting to me. In fact, I'll go out to dinner. If people order sushi or a crab or a lobster, I have to go someplace else. I can't stand it. It looks like a giant bug. Why would you eat that? But I like food. All right. Food and yeah, I like Italian food. I love Indian food, Indian Japanese food. food, you know, teriyaki. And what's the biggest thing you hate to spend money on that you have to? Rent. Rent. When <laughs> <laughs> you rent things, you ever buy something, you really didn't like it, then you sell it at a garage sale, stuff like that. I like cars. I have two cars. Um, I like remodeling. Oh, and I like antiques. Okay. I spend a lot of money on, on antiques. I have a uh, 1922 cash register that was given to me by my uncle, and he got it from my grandfather. So it's a, a family heirloom. It used to be in a shoe shine, a shoe repair store that my grandfather had in Jersey City, New Jersey, and then gave it to my uncle. So I have it. And on Thanksgiving, I'm having the entire family come over to my house, my mother's side of the family, and I'm going to unveil the cash register because I just had it remodeled, and it looks like it's brand new. It was spray-painted gray for $1,500. I had the whole thing ripped apart, put back together, and it's brass. Wow. So now the cash register is a classic. It's probably worth about three grand. Oh, that's cool. And so you're going to do an unveil? I'm going to unveil it on Thanksgiving. I bet you the whole oh. family starts crying. I'm like, this is grandpa's cash register. This is cool. Then somebody's going to say, was there money in it? Yeah. <laughs> Which there wasn't because I looked. Yeah. Man. Uh, what did your parents – actually, what did your parents and what did your grandparents tell you about money um, or all that? Because obviously they came over from Italy. Yeah. Um, so probably not mainstream America. No. Save your money for a rainy day. Don't be stupid with your money. Take the cash, put it under the bed, put it between the mattresses. My family really didn't believe in going to the bank. Yeah. They might have been right. If it's not in the bank, you don't have it. Right. Understand? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> taxes? What, what, who, who, I don't know anybody named Taxes. Must <laughs> Never be met a friend, him. Must be a friend of your brother's. It's, Never met him. So they kept cash uh, between the uh, mattresses. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about immigrants. They had it really rough when they were kids. So um, my two brothers and I are very smart and sharp with money mm -hmm. because someday you might lose it. You could get sick. You might need it. Right. You have to have a 401k. Um and we were entertainers. Right. I mean, I, I might get something from the Screen Actors Guild, but comics don't have a union. No. I pay my own in health insurance. And when I tour, and sometimes you get paid a large amount of money, you got to be careful what you do with that because mm -hmm. the tax man can take a good chunk of it. So I invest, invest, invest because, and God forbid, something happens like I can't entertain anymore. Right. Well, what, let me ask you this. So what gave you the impetus when you were 13 years old? To say, I'm going to perform, like, and nobody's going to stop me. I don't know. Because don't a lot know, of parents would be like, no, seriously, be a teacher or get a real job. Get a real job. This is not going to last. This is fake. This is phony. Exactly. Uh, the, you're outnumbered. There's millions of people like you from around the world. I don't know. I do remember sometimes in my 30s when I wasn't earning a living as an entertainer, my early 30s, I just couldn't make ends meet as an entertainer and I had that traffic school job. Mm -hmm. I used to say to myself all the time, why is this passion to perform so great? Why can't I just go be normal? Why can't I get married and have a bunch of kids and, right. and hang out with the guys at the bar and, and play softball? Why do I want this so badly? 
And then all of a sudden you get a little bit of a break and you forget that conversation you had with yourself. Yeah. And you keep on going. And then I guess it was about maybe 10 years ago I had a joke that I did on Byron Allen's uh, Comics Unleashed. Oh, yeah. It, well, it hit 14 million people. And now I'm selling out theaters all around the country. I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> they didn't even joke. want me on the show. Wow. And I had done so many appearances on The Tonight Show. It never did anything yeah. compared to what YouTube did. Wow. YouTube just sent it through the moon. And then all of a sudden I start getting all this mail about, you know, if we really did have a wise guy running a country, it might not be such a bad idea. You should run for president. I go, I'm not running for president. It was a joke. It was a joke. Well, I got a couple of guys and I said, let's pretend we're running for president. We'll put it up on YouTube. And it's just getting millions of views. Oh, that's hilarious. So we turned it into a web series, Make America Italian Again. Now I got T-shirts. I got sportswear, jackets. I'm selling it in that store, this store, that store. So when it comes to money, there's a lot of different ways to be in show business. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we want to entertain on stage, but what about something else? You know, you, you you cut a DVD, you sell a DVD after a show. Who's buying DVDs anymore? Now you got to have something else. I just canceled my DVD part of Netflix today. <laughs> See? I haven't used it in two years. <laughs> we, we used to sell VHS copies. Right, right. Imagine lugging those around. Yeah, we still the comedy store. You can buy a VHS of the uh, the fifteenth year the, anniversary. The anniversary, yeah. <laughs> On VHS, we did not convert them. <laughs> I think anybody who's going to be in the entertainment field needs to uh, really realize this is difficult. There's thousands of us. There's a lot of different ways to be in the business. Mm -hmm. um, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City, and I'll never forget the teacher. And then Armando Sante, who was doing a lot of movies at that time, came into the classroom and said. Uh, be prepared, have a suit of armor, and have a survival job. So I always did. Right. Then then when you start making money as an entertainer, I think that's what keeps you grounded because you never know. Yeah. You, you just never know. What's the hardest part about – like you travel a lot right now, I yeah. would imagine. What's the hardest part about that? Because, I mean, at least for me, I think – traveling you're in a hotel room by yourself a lot there's a lot of isolation yep. um and how do you like just how do you cope with all that it's kind of tough because i've never been married i have no kids sometimes you get involved romantically and they don't like the fact that you're traveling and doing what you're doing yeah uh with the internet now you could get accused of doing something that you never really did you got pictures of this and and sound bites of that and it does become torturous I'm 55. You get on a plane. Your body starts to ache. You don't want to buy the food. Nobody's nice. It's it's kind of crazy. But <laughs> I just came back from a show that I only had to do one show. I was paid a great amount of money. It was a corporate event at the uh, Breakers Hotel in Palm Beach, Florida. Now you're in a five-star hotel. You're yeah. being treated like gold and you're in a limo. And <laughs> you're eating all this great food. That's the joy. So I guess it's like an addiction. Yeah. Plus, there's something about performing, especially us live performers. You know, it's mm -hmm. great to be in a movie. It's great to do a scene with somebody. But actors in movies and TV, they got the word cut. We're live performers. Do or die, you're on. It's, it's it. Sink or swim. Sink or swim. You got seconds to prove that you're going to hammer this out. 
and uh, the the rush, the feeling of all those people coming to see you, to hang on your every word and meet you after a show and ask for an autograph. And maybe people want to tell you their problems. Yeah. A lot of people like to tell me, oh, you know, my problem, my, this guy, he died and this and that cancer. And you just listen because mm-hmm. they're looking at you like you got it made. Right. Although you could have had the worst day. Right. But it's the greatest feeling. So how can you give that up? How do you have the patience to – like people coming up and coming up and just because people do. I mean, I have a lot of friends that are like known and yeah. we get interrupted and people have to tell them how much they love them. And yeah, um, I don't, you know, hopefully I would be that patient and gracious as, as my friends, but I, like, it's a lot. Yeah, well, you know, watch what you wish for. There are some people that can annoy the hell out of you. And then there's some people that, you know, this is why you did what you did to right. get them. Right. To respect you and be nice to you and talk to you. Yeah, there are times where people want to come up, hey, I got a joke for you. I'm like, oh, man, can you just get away from me? Why would I want to hear a joke? Yeah. You know, imagine saying to a carpenter, hey, I got a hammer. You want to want to use it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, that's their joy. So you got to let them have their moment. Yeah. How do you deal with uh, – have you ever had like a, a major heckler uh, in the middle of a show? Oh, Yeah. There's always somebody going to want to challenge you. Right. Uh, thankfully, now just doing theaters, it's difficult to heckle an entertainer. We can't see them. They're too far away. There's too many people and nobody's drunk. But when you're in a club and everybody's been drinking, there's always somebody wants to challenge you. It's usually a female in the front. Um, you know, as an entertainer for so many years, you're locked and loaded. Right. Ready you, can, to go. you can destroy anybody at any time. Plus, we tend to know what's on their mind. Yeah. I know what you're thinking. I could tell by the way you're sitting. Right. You know, especially coming from the day when people were smoking cigarettes and watching the show to you can't smoke cigarettes, but you can look at your phone. Right. And anybody looking at their phone and texting while I'm performing is going to get hurt. Right. I don't need to see that. So do you you have to have like so with phones, do you have the most recent? Do you need to keep updated instantly? As far as I know, I do. I got the iPhone 8 and uh, I do my podcast in the phone with my computer and. And uh, other equipment and, um, you know, I do some Instagrams and stuff like that. But I had to hire somebody to do my social media. Yeah. Uh, You know, luckily you get so much fan mail, you can't really respond to all of it. Right. It's just too much. I wish, you know. Yeah. That do. um, um, What do what are you currently do you have a goal of something that you want to accomplish financially in the next year? Well, yeah, I guess – and I really don't know what the number would be mm-hmm. because every time you achieve a goal, I got another goal. I right. thought it would have stopped. Right. Doesn't stop. I keep thinking I'm going to achieve financial freedom, but I don't think you can because when you get a certain amount of money and you achieve a goal, you want another goal. Right. I guess that's just the way it is. Because there are sometimes I say to myself, now, wait a minute. I live in two states technically. Right. I got a place here 25 years. I have a place in New Jersey 15, 20 years. I have a car there. I have a car here and I live on a plane. What's the next goal? Well, I wouldn't mind having a mansion. Yeah. Or buy a plane. Or buy a plane. (laughs) Buy a plane. Could you imagine all of a sudden you got a plane? You're like, man, I should have got a helicopter. Like what's the end game? What's the last goal? So I don't know. But I guess the goal is to stay uh, in the game. Stay in the game. Do you budget? Like do you know what your monthly expenses are? Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm being attentive, man. <laughs> I write that down. I have it all written out. This is what I spend. This is what this costs. Can I afford this? You know? How, how do, so like when you go make a major purchase, what's your thought process? Like besides can I afford this? Do you have a process? Do you – like work it out. Yeah, I I guess maybe in a way I'm old school, like an old uh, old uncle from back in the day. If you can't afford it with cash to buy the whole thing, you can't afford it. So I don't have any monthly charges on cars. If I couldn't afford the car, I wouldn't have got it. Right. I don't have car payments. I don't have certain payments anymore. I just go get it. You know. Yeah. And do you um, – I'm afraid to have a payment. I don't ever want to see that word lease agreement. Yeah. No. If I can't buy it, I'm not taking it. But do you ever regret it? Like when you – I mean I'm a weirdo in the sense that like I shopped for a TV probably for like six, seven months because I just had to make sure before I parted with my money that it was the right one and they weren't going to come up with an upgrade right after I bought it. And so I'm always afraid to sp- – not always, but often I'm afraid to spend. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're talking about. Um, I'm just like that. First of <laughs> all, I'm an in-store shopper. I don't stop. I don't shop on the internet. I'm not going to order a shirt and then it don't fit, and I got to mail it. I go to the store. Right. So recently, I went and bought a couple of flat-screen TVs, and I don't know a lot about it, and I don't know where the best price would be, and I don't know anything about Deal Dash, and so I went to a Costco, and I went. Well, this looks really good. I like the way it's shaped, and this one looks good. I like the way it's shaped, and this one has this and that one that. I'll be back next week. I didn't buy anything. Wow. Yep. And then I asked a friend. He asked somebody else. Oh, you should try here. Try here. So I went to a different place, and I'm like, well, that looks pretty good, and wow, it's a little cheaper here than it was over there, and I'll be back next week. And then I went back again, and I finally said, okay, I'm happy with this, and I got it. So, yeah, I'm a stickler on all that, too. I don't want to be ripped off. No, that's the way. That's the way. So what advice would you give to a young comic coming to L.A., um, getting ready to make it happen? Um, I know you said have a survival job based on what you learned. But what would you, what else would you tell them? You definitely have to have a survival job because, you know, you, you have to eat. You have to have some clothes. You have to have a place to live. You know, you bond up with a couple of other comedians, maybe three, four guys in, a, in an apartment. Um, have a, a survival job that has to deal with the industry. Yeah. I was told that when I was younger. See, a lot of people, when they're waiting tables, you're bartending. It really doesn't have too much to do with the industry other than you hoping some industry is going to come in there and say, oh, you might be right for something I'm casting. Right. That's why I took the job as a comedy traffic school instructor. You had to go get a license to teach a motor vehicle course, but they wanted you to be funny so that the eight hours wouldn't be so painful for these 40 people to sit in there. When I started teaching the class outside of L.A., I would work on material that fit traffic safety. When I finally started teaching at the classroom that was at the actual improv, people were coming in with cocktails from in the actual club and we had to give them pizza. I'm like, this just doesn't make any sense. Right. But then I started to see who's in this room. Actors, movie stars, writers, producers, casting directors, agents, everybody. I mean, I met Chris Tucker one night Wow. and, and we would just – talking and all of a sudden two weeks later we're doing a show together it's hilarious 
And Neil Simon came into traffic school one day. And we get to work the room and I said to him, so what do you do? And everybody started laughing. He goes, well, my name's Neil Simon. I'm a writer. And I said, I got a great idea for you. Take a sloppy guy and a neat guy, let them to get, live together in an apartment in New York. And he goes, you're hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, you get to meet all these people. Right. But it had something to do with showbiz. Yeah. And that's a true story. When the accountant was sitting in that room and he said, you really need to meet Mitzi. She's going to like you. He yeah. made that happen and that's the way that happened. Would you say that a lot of success is about uh, connections and who you know? Maybe not who you knew but like connections and who you know. It's always going to be that way. I think it's like that uh, in any business. It is going to be someone that you know that you grew with in the industry that got to a certain level that reached back and said, come on, here's what we're doing. And I guess it would be like that for anybody and anything. I mean – the story that I said about Comics Unleashed, I tried so hard to get on the show and I never got on the show and then they got rid of the casting director and a new casting director went in there and he just happened to work over at the Laugh Factory and he called me up and he goes, Mike, come down and shoot the show. I'm like, it's that easy? <laughs> he goes, yeah, well, I'm in charge. Come and do the show. Then I did the show and I was in the top 10 in, in no time. So I guess that's just the way it is. Hey, sometimes it just rolls. Yeah. It just rolls. Let me ask you this. Would you, um, if your mom were alive today or um, do you think she would give you an A plus, a B plus? Like how would she rate uh, – is she proud of you? Yeah. My mother loved the fact that I was in showbiz, especially when she started to see me on TV. Uh, I was on As the World Turns for a year and she was a big fan of As the World Turns and I was on – the year that Meg Ryan was on the show and oh, wow. Marissa Tomei. Marissa wow. Tomei was like 19. I was 22. We had some scenes together. In fact, I can actually put them on YouTube now. <laughs> you, probably... you can see me with a full head of hair and really, really skinny. And uh, so she loved all of that. And she came here to the comedy store once with my dad. That's when they met Dice in the parking lot. And she met all these people. But you're talking 90s, early 2000s. And I'm sure she would be uh, thrilled. Uh, one of the one of my last DVDs I did, we did a, a scene, me and my mother, and we did a, um, um, a mockery on Goodfellas, the uh -huh. scene where he borrows the knife. And I told the cameraman, my mother's not going to do what she's supposed to do, so let's just laugh. So she put the food on the table and she cracked some jokes. And two weeks later, we filmed the show at the, uh, the Borgata and she ends it by saying, I had a wonderful time. <laughs> And I think it was like about a month later she passed away. It was unbelievable. Oh, wow. Wow. But I got it. So that could be another thing for young comedians. Film your family. Film them. <laughs> Film them. There's been a lot of shows made on families. Yes. They, they... <laughs> Family's always good, funny. The truth is. is always funny. The truth is. I mean, Raymond, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, so what do you um, – I know we're getting close. But what do you uh, – what do you want people to remember you for? You know, I do a lot of fundraisers. I uh, did so many fundraisers for 9-11. I actually have a plaque that considers me a first responder. I never took a dime. We raised millions of dollars. You know, a couple of comedians go up there and make people laugh and they put the money in the pockets of uh, a survivor or something like that within that time. The USO comedy tours that we did, uh, entertaining the troops in foreign countries. I like to be remembered as a good guy. Yeah. Uh, good entertainer. And uh, 
guy who's worth eight million dollars. Eight million dollars. I well, and I have to ask: Do you do, do you still do your smart and final joke? Oh my gosh! No, I haven't done that in years. I could bring it back, maybe. Smart and Final was a popular TV commercial at that time. Right. Okay. With the little kid, he yes. said Smart and Final. So I said Dumb and Forever. Yeah. It's not really a popular place anymore, but you know, you're talking about a subject matter that changed to Costco, right? Walmart. That's that right. wasn't around. No. Self checkout. That's right. I just smart and final. Wow. Smart and final. The big barrel of mustard. Got to buy the whole thing. I, <laughs> I can't dude, believe you remember. I that. remember, dude. I remember. I bought it. A... <laughs> oh, that's flattering, right there. I want to be remembered for that. <laughs> You know, it's uh, – Wow. That is too funny. Um, so, you know, just to recap because we're coming to the end. Yeah. You know, it, what I'm really hearing is like follow your passion. Even if you keep questioning why you're doing it, just yeah. f- like trust it. Like follow the passion. Be nice to people. Um, you know, appreciate that you got what you wanted. Like, yeah. you know, and, and being gracious to people and being kind. And you've done a lot of um, tours for the military. Um, so you've – I mean you get to perform but you also give back a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, don't buy it if you can't afford it. No, don't. <laughs> don't. Wait it out. You can pay cash and not have all the debts. It'll get cheaper too. It'll, get- <laughs> <laughs> It'll go on sale. <laughs> and you can have a couple of houses. Do you regret selling the, the – Yeah, the beach house, yeah. Yeah. I never should have sold that. Never should have sold it. Not going to sell it back to you. No, no way. Not at this point. No, I don't even have that kind of money. <laughs> oh man so where can people find you i know you've got a show um you got the tour uh make america italian again and uh where can people find all you? my social media, media is mike marino.net and uh at mike marino live youtube instagram twitter all of that stuff all facebook that mike marino live on facebook uh itunes Spotify, Spotify, iHeart, iHeart, <laughs> all those good Pandora, things. Pandora got a lot of Mike Marino. Hey, Pandora! Yeah. I never get a check, but they got a lot of Mike. That's Pandora. That's good. I think the website is always the best. It takes you to everything else. So yeah, MikeMarino.net, and you can watch my campaign as I run for president of the United States, and I change the way the world looks at life. That's right. A lot more pasta. The Italian, the Italian way. <laughs> Remember, you don't know none. You didn't see none. You don't say none. That's America. That's America. <laughs> well, man, I so appreciate you having. Having you uh, having you on today. Um, please don't forget to share the laughs. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. And if you have a question you would like to ask one of our future guests, you can visit us at moneyyoushouldask.com and click on the record a question button. Um, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Not Pandora yet. Um, For more (laughs) tips, stories, financial tools to help you have a healthier relationship with your money, be sure to check out themoneynerve.com. I'm Bob Wheeler, Mike Marino. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. 